Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. It's, he covers uh, a different portion of business than, than some of you may be thinking about or maybe used to. Um, it's a big part of everyone's business, but it's something that's often neglected. So we're, we're going to dig into that in a second. But first, I want to um, thank my sponsor. This show is always sponsored in part by powertexting.com. Powertexting.com provides a platform to stay in contact with prospects and clients in a quick, easy way that gets a better open rate, a better read rate than traditional email. Uh, so definitely support Powertexting.com. As a thank you from them to all of our listeners, every show I give away a trip on, um, from them. It's a vacation to a five-star resort. Vegas, Orlando, Cancun. There's about 10 different places that the winner can choose from. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. And the lifeblood of any business is cash flow. And cash flow is created by attracting more clients. My focus in my business is about attracting clients and helping my world find new clients that come to them, but without spending a ton of money on marketing or advertising. If you spend too much on advertising, uh, it can really stunt your business. So I do it without spending any money. And I encourage you to download my book at freebookfromadam.com. If you go there, it's an eight-step manual on how to create more clients and make more money in your business. So please um, download that if it's getting more clients is something that is necessary and important for you. And to jump into today's guest, Cash flow, as I said, is king. There are ways to manage it. There are ways to understand it. And he is an expert in that field. He's got two best-selling books around how to be a cash flow pro and his new bestseller that just came out in January, Pathway to Profits. He's been an accountant. He's been a financial manager. He's been a CFO. He's worked in business for his career, and that transitioned him into starting his own business. So we're going to get some great lessons I'd like to introduce Ken, Mr. Biz Wenworth. Ken, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely glad to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I, I want to dig into to how you help businesses. But before I get there, I always love to learn about how did people become an entrepreneur, whether it was the traditional, I think of myself as an entrepreneur, where you're out there selling gum to kids in preschool, or whether it's something that happened later in life and you became it because you found a need in the marketplace or found something that you do differently. How did that work for you? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I love the question. It's interesting. So again, I, I enjoy the same thing here in these, these journeys of people. It's always very fascinating to me. So I was, even as a, you know, as you said, I was 12 years old. I got my first job, quote unquote job, and this will date me a bit, but I delivered newspapers. Uh, which, you know, I don't even think they do that anymore. But, but anyway, <laughs> um, but even back then, the sort of the, the hustler mentality, the reason I got a paper, job, paper delivery job was I wanted a computer. And my parents said, hey, we can't afford a computer. Well, I played four sports 
And so I had a very limited time of when I could even have a job, right, with practices and games and all that stuff. And so I figured out, okay, I have this narrow window. I need to make, I forget what it was, and this will definitely date me, but it was a Commodore 64 computer. A lot of people probably don't even know what the heck thing, that thing is, but it was a beast. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted that computer so darn bad. And so I figured out this narrow window of when I could work, and the only job I could get at 12 was we lived in a very hilly area, so a lot of times you know kids can mow, mow lawns and things like that. Well, my parents wouldn't let me at that age because I wasn't strong enough in the hills and all that kind of stuff with the mower. So I became a paper boy, and then I even figured out quickly that, geez, even with this limited time, I'm not going to make enough money uh, to get my computer by the time you know my time is up. And so I, went, I had to figure out another way to make additional money, well, how can I do that with limited, you know, job opportunities at that age? So I literally went around at 12 years old and surveyed all of my customers and said, hey, what does good service from a paper delivery boy look like to you? What would you, you know, what would prompt you to want to um, give me a gratuity for my services? And then use that to drive how I deliver papers. Um, and, and got to my goal, got my computer, and, and so it all turned out well. But Fast forward, so I've always sort of had that entrepreneur mind even back at that age. However, I was a pretty conservative person, uh, at least financially. So I got a job in the corporate world, worked at J.P. Morgan Chase for, uh, let's just call it 20-plus years. Um, and, but literally when I got my master's degree, I said, okay, I, give, I gave myself two years. I've got to figure this out because I want to run my own business. And I have two years to figure it out. Um, and frankly, the two years – wasn't just an arbitrary goal. That's how long I needed to stay at my at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase in order to not have to pay back my tuition reimbursement. So there was <laughs> there was a financial uh, element to that to not have to pay that darn thing back. But anyway, so long story short, that came and went. The two years came and went. I never figured anything out. Never took the leap. Um, as a matter of fact, it was that two years was up in 2008. And so, as as most people recall, that's when sort of the economic downturn was just beginning. And so there's a lot of exciting things going on in the corporate world at, at J.P. Morgan Chase at that time. So, you know, it was really cool, and I stuck around for that. But literally I got to the point where, and, again, I loved my time there, and it was – I got a lot of just really, really good experience. But I got to the point where um, I was getting to – I felt like I really wanted to fly more. I could help more people, and my wings were getting clipped a bit. Some of the – you know, got caught up in a little bit of the corporate you – know, the typical corporate bureaucracy, red tape, things like that. Um, and it just had gotten to where it was frustrating. I thought, man, there's, I can really, I can do better, you know. Uh, the, the funny side note to that story is I decided I was going to resign before having another job, before knowing what I was going to do next. Um, and at my boss telling me that they're going to put me up to be uh, promoted to the top 1% of people in the company. So I'm in New York City. My boss tells me this, and I start to fast forward. So I'm strategic to a fault. So I'm thinking three years out. In the meantime, I trip over the curb that's in front of me. Uh, so <laughs> I'm thinking about where I live and how many employees are at J.P. Morgan Chase there, and what's this going to look like? You know, what are my what are my prospects going forward within the company? And knowing that those were limited without having to relocate. You know, we've got three kids, and that really wasn't in the cards relocating or anything like that. We didn't really want to do that. And so I'm thinking, man, this is just going to kind of pigeonhole me into you know, my next role, gosh, I'm going to be in this role forever. And I don't, you know, I love new challenges and I like to continually learn new things and things like that. So 
So I get in the cab, uh, taxi in New York City, drive to LaGuardia, call my wife, and I said, hey, you know, Mark's going to put me up for a managing director. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is great news. Um, you know, all your hard work. And I said, and by the way, I have to leave. I'm going to leave. And she said, oh, is your plane leaving? You, you need, to, need to go? And I'm like, no, I'm going to resign. And she said, did you get to the airport early? Have you been drinking? <laughs> and I said, uh, no. And she said, uh, I'm not sure what got into you, but why don't you just take a nap on the plane ride home, and we'll talk about it when you get home. But, again, I had sort of figured out that, you know, again, I felt like the skill set I had developed, I could help more people and have more of an impact overall. And I didn't want to be sort of have my wings clipped. I wanted to be able to do it, you know, how I wanted to do it, so to speak. And so ended up next time I went back to New York, uh, which was a few weeks later, told my boss I was going to resign. I said, you know, I'll stick around as long as you want. I don't have anything uh, pending. I don't even know what the heck I'm going to do. Um, went and had some meetings with my mentor to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and he said, you need to be a CFO for several businesses. And I said, well, how the heck do you do that? I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, and so he explained it to me. You know, you do it on a part-time basis, and, you know, you work with, you know, like I said, on a part-time basis with all these different businesses. And I said, man, that sounds great. So from that point on, I sort of started my own business and, and started going from there. So long-winded answer, but it kind of was a, a, a little bit of a twisty journey. No, and I appreciate that. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to what you just said in terms of you're, you've got something good and you're successful at it, but, but it's not fulfilling you 100% or, or it doesn't um, allow you to do what you're meant to do. And you made the decision to say, all right, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go do it. Um, I love the fact that you, you sought counsel from your mentor as to what he or she thought about the process. But when, when you were sitting, whether it was up late at night or whether it was on the plane or when you came to this decision <laughs> before you even told your wife, what were some of the things going through your head as to the why did you need to help more people? What, what was driving you from that aspect? You know, that's a good question. I, I think, honestly, uh, and, and literally, I'll tell you, that's the other thing, that I'm, I'm a very decisive person. I make a decision, I'm, and I just go with it, and, you know, we will adjust as we go along. I think that's important, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, very important to be able to make those decisions and not get uh, analysis paralysis. But So I literally – and. I guess sort of in the back of my mind, it had been there, right? Some of the frustration um, and had mounted a little bit. But literally from – I had that meeting with my boss at, I don't know, I want to say it was early afternoon, and I was at the airport at maybe 6 or 7 o'clock that evening. So within a five- or six-hour period, and I had some other meetings the rest of the day, I made a decision in that, you know, six-hour time frame, I'm resigning. And I think – a lot of it just stemmed from the fact that I, I knew I was very blessed and fortunate to have amassed this great experience and developed expertise in all these different areas. And again, I just felt like I could have more of an impact overall. Like even just staying there at that company, I can have an impact there, but it was limited. Whereas if I go out into the, into the vast world um, of entrepreneurship, I, there's got to be a way I can impact more people. I can help save more jobs. I can help create jobs and things like that. Um, and, and so it was just kind of a calling. I'm, I'm a, uh, my wife and I are both very philanthropic as well. So 
I think that probably was part of the, the backbone of that um, thinking as well as, you know, trying to make a bigger impact overall. Very cool. And, and I'm sure there are, there are people listening that are, that are thinking, wow, that sounds amazing. I've had the same thoughts, but there's no way that I could just quit my job and, and go do something. Uh, it, 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 it's not for me. And in, in you actually having done it and taking that leap, what, looking back on it, what lessons did you learn from taking that leap and, and quitting your job without knowing exactly what you were going to do? What lessons did you learn now looking back that you can share with the audience on maybe why it worked and how you were able to make the transition? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I, and I didn't hear this sort of quote, or maybe some folks have seen the meme or whatever before, but I don't know who originally said it, but I'll probably won't say a direct quote, but you know, something to the effect of entrepreneurs are the type of people who jump off a cliff and build an airplane or build wings on the way down. Um, and, and that's how I felt. And I, it was interesting. It was an interesting change, abrupt change, frankly, for me, because again, as I mentioned, I always wanted to do it, but I really just never got the guts to say, I'm going to do it. You know, I got to a point in my career where I was uh, very well compensated. And so now it's, geez, I got even more income to try to make up. And how do I do that? And I guess I just had reached a point where I said, man, you know, I'm confident. I know that in my life, um, even outside of my career, other things in my life, my personal life and things, anything I put my mind to, and this is probably true for many people, a lot of your listeners as well, maybe they just don't realize it. Think about the things in your life that you've really gone all in on, not 80% in. I'm talking all in and said, I am going to make this happen. On those things in your life that you've done that with, how many times have you fallen short? I'm willing to bet that most, in most cases you've hit a home run because what I find is when you really go all in, you're going to be successful. You're passionate about it, which is key. And that's what I knew. I mean, I was confident in myself. I knew I could make it work. I knew it would be a struggle. And so the lessons, my gosh, I could talk for hours about the lessons, right? The school of hard knocks. Right. <laughs> Thinking you got something figured out and not, not even having it, figuring out later that you really had no clue. Um, and I think that's a big piece of it. Um, I know I learned for myself, and then I see it every day with the business owners that I work with, is really having some self-awareness and, and being humble and saying, you know what, I don't know this. I need to find someone who can help me because I feel like I know this pretty well. Well, if you feel like you know it pretty well, more than likely you don't know it very well at all. You're probably a little overconfident in, <laughs> in your knowledge of whatever that topic is. At least that's what I found with myself. Um, and so knowing when to, to, to bounce ideas off folks, so, you know, I, I formed an advisory council um, that were – uh, friends and colleagues of mine that had their own businesses because, geez, I think I know how to start a business, but, you know, I need, I need some folks who have been there, done that, and, and frankly had some failures um, so they, I can learn from their, you know, missteps. Um, and I think that's a big part of it is having sort of that net of folks that you can go to to ask those questions or, again, filling in the gap. I mean, I didn't know how, you know, I need a website. Well, I don't know anything about websites, so how do I do that? Um, should I build it on my own? Should I hire someone to do it? You know, how sophisticated of a website do I need? You know, all those sorts of things. Finding someone who's been there, done that. And again, as I mentioned, in some cases, finding someone who's failed at it, right? Because it, that's, sometimes that's, those are the life's best lessons of learning from someone who said, hey, 
by the way, here are three things you make sure you definitely do not do. <laughs> is don't do this, don't do this, do this. And that helps you avoid some of those missteps along the way. And, you know, I still hit plenty of bumps on the road for sure during the journey, but I think I was able to avoid a lot of them um, as well just by hearing about things that, you know, people had shortfalls on and, and have made mistakes and learning from those. And I love that you said that, not only because it's essentially the premise for this entire show, but also because <laughs> you, uh, you had the, the foresight or the training or something in your life said, hey, I need a mentor, because you mentioned you had a mentor, that you formed an advisory council. For everyone listening, um, that's probably part of your journey, right? You're, you're listening to this show to get those lessons and to get that, that feedback and that mentorship from the guests that I have on. How did you learn that in your life? Was that, was that something taught? Did it come from your background in playing for sports during school? How did you come to the realization that you needed these people in your life to help guide you? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, Adam. I, 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 it's, this is probably not the, uh, the answer that you would expect, but I did not have a mentor really until I decided to leave the corporate world. So I was an epic failure at having a mentor. I was a mentor for lots of people. And I think my mentoring other people made me at that moment in my life, at that career crossroads, realize, holy heck, I need to get a mentor. I need someone who's been there, done that, and has that experience that I can, you know, really talk to and dig through. So, again, I, in the corporate world, I really had failed at that because I didn't have a mentor, and I just mentored folks. Um, um, but like I said, when I decided I was going to leave, I said, man, i got to find someone outside of the corporate world, someone who is in – Someone who is, is, is where I want to be eventually, basically, um, and was able to connect with someone um, and, you know, over a period of months um, kind of went through that. And the, in the process for those out there, I'll tell you, that was very valuable for me, for anyone who's out there listening that, you know, is, is at that point and has a nine to five and says, man, I really would like to do this and take this leap. I'll tell you what, what a great exercise that we went through that he, and it sounds so simple when I tell you, but I didn't think of it. You know, it's like one of those things you're kind of your head's in the weeds and you can't, you know, think of the things in a more strategic way. We literally started from my very first job, that paper delivery boy job, all the way up through my career where I was at that point. We looked at every single job and he said, give me three things you loved about that job and three things you hated about it. We went through every role I'd ever had and on a big giant whiteboard and then he went through and circled all the commonalities and said, okay, here's what you, you should be doing. You need a job that has this, this, and this, and here's what we got to make sure you don't have, this, this, and this. And again, it sounds so simple when you lay it out, and you go, well, sure, that's what you do, but I don't know about you. I didn't think of that. I mean, again, it sounds really obvious now when you say it, but, and that was super powerful because I know, and you alluded to this earlier, Adam, I know with 100% certainty I am doing what I was put on this earth to do. I absolutely love what I do. I get out. I bounce out of bed in the morning like uh, like the Tigger on Winnie the Pooh. I mean, I just I'm I'm always energetic. I love what I do. I will even like I love like sneaking off to my office in the in the house. Like when the my family's you know they're off doing this that and the other. I'll sneak in the office for a half hour. Like I'll look for those opportunities to go in the office to work on stuff. 
I mean, I, that's how much I love what I do. It's just it, so I think that exercise with my mentor helped me get to that point, right? Figure out what that that thing was that I needed to be doing. Tremendous. How did you go about finding that mentor? Because there's lots of people out there that we may have in our lives, but we think they're too busy, or you you are afraid that you're not ready for that person's help. How did you find your mentor and, and pick the right person? It was complete happenstance. I I knew that I needed to find a mentor, but and I, again, it's a, again, it's keep in mind, I, at that point in time, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And a a, per, a guy that I work out with, he said, you need to talk to one of my friend's dad and about potentially working for him. So I went to have a discussion with this guy up to potentially work for him. And it, was a, it would have been an entrepreneurial type thing. I mean, he would have been, you know, sort of over me, but I would have sort of had my own reign on what to do. And during the conversation, he literally told me, he said, you don't want to do this. He said, you're way too intelligent to do this. And I said, well, wait a minute. What's that say about you, Sam? This is what you do. And he's like, no, I know. Just hear me out. You know, he said, here's why you don't want to do this. I could tell, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you're not going to want to have to deal with this. You're, you can make a bigger impact by doing X, Y, and Z, et cetera. And so I said, gosh, you know, that insight he had given me from a 45-minute conversation that was a semi-job interview, basically, um, I said, well, you know, could I come back and talk to you again? Just so happens that he, he does mentor people, and you could tell because he was so darn good at it. But, um, so it was complete happenstance how I found someone, you know, basically a, the dad of a friend of a friend kind of thing. You know, how the heck do you make that connection? But I'm so thankful um, for him and all he's done for me. He's been there. He's part of that advisory council that I have. Always has valuable input. You know, he's he's approaching 70 years old. He's been there, done that. He's been an entrepreneur since he was 15. Um, you, you know, just really, really good experience. But here's the other thing I'll tell you. Even along the way, aside from Sam, you know, when I've reached those points where I mentioned earlier of, hey, I need some guidance here, I have never once been told no by someone that I've asked for time with. Never once. And I get it, right? People are, as you mentioned, Adam, they're, they're, sometimes they're hesitant, like, oh, so-and-so is too busy. Never once has someone told me no. Every single time I've ever asked for help, and what I do is, you know, I'll approach them and say, hey, you know, can I get 15 minutes of your time? And I, I'm always very respectful of that, make sure I stick to my time and so I don't, you know, over, overstay my welcome, so to speak. But don't be afraid to ask. One of my favorite all-time quotes, Steve Jobs, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's super powerful. And, and you know, they say that a couple things. One, the, the old adage that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that probably led a little bit to uh, finding your mentor in the way that you did. And also mm -hmm. that the most successful people have the most time. Um, I hear it over and over again that people who are super successful, whether that's financially or whether that's just in life, and sometimes those go hand in hand, they have a lot of time because in their success, they've created that, and that's part of their success. We're here today talking with Ken Mr. Biz Wentworth. Uh, you can reach him at um, MrBizSolutions.com. That's B-I-Z, MrBizSolutions.com. And as I mentioned, our show is brought to you by PowerTexting.com, and PowerTexting.com gives away a trip to one of my listeners of every episode. So if you're interested in 
winning a trip, which hopefully many of you are, if you go to podcasttrip.com and enter to win, someone will be getting a trip, and I will walk them through that process. So if you go to podcasttrip.com, you can register to win there. I want to transition into what you're doing and and how that works, because you've done a lot of things since you started your own business. You started as a um, outsourced CFO or a part-time CFO. That led to another business. That led to the two books that you have. You have a radio show. You've done all of these additional items in addition to your business as an entrepreneur, each one of them entrepreneurial in and of themselves. How did that progression happen from when you said, all right, I'm, I've got my first client, now I'm off and running? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the radio show was just sort of a, again, it's sort of a fluke. Um, it's just uh, putting yourself out there. And, you know, I, I think doors, doors open for you and opportunities present themselves, but they certainly won't if you're, you know, sitting at home on the couch watching reruns of Murder, She Wrote or, or whatever, whatever. Um, I was asked to be on a couple of shows just as a subject matter expert, um, as people would call in, business owners would call in, and there was an attorney, um, there was myself, and then there was a marketing person. And the callers would call in with a question, and depending, you know, whose level or area of expertise it fell into, we would answer the question. Super softball questions for the most part, really easy. The second time I was there, the GM of the station pulled me aside and said, oh, my gosh, we got to get you a show. We've been looking for someone, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I'm not doing a radio show. That's just, you know, no thanks. Well, they kept after, kept after. Finally, after a few months, they wore me down, and I said, okay, I'll do eight shows. I'll do, you know, two months' worth, and I'll decide, you know, if I like it. Well, I loved it. Um, and it's a lot of fun, and, again, I'm able to reach a lot of people, and the response was incredible. And so it made me feel really good that I was able to – I knew I was helping people because of the response from listeners and the questions I was getting. I, you know, the first week I got three questions. And the second show I got like ten questions. And then it just grew from there. And so I'm like, man, I'm really – again, what I wanted to do, I'm really having an impact. I know I'm helping folks. And so that's how the radio show got started. Writing a book here's – here's a strange confession. I hate writing. I absolutely – do not like to do it at all. Um, I learned from someone who I've learned a ton from, actually, um, for any listeners out there who have heard. If you haven't heard of this guy, you need to follow him on social media. His name is Frank Kern, and the guy's a, a digital marketing genius, uh, direct response marketing genius. Um, and I heard him talk about how he wrote his first book. And the, the boil it down, basically, he records himself via audio, has it transcribed and then edits that, and that's his book. And so I'm like, man, I could do that. And I don't like the editing part, frankly, either, but it's a lot easier for me sitting down with the transcription to start from as opposed to you know, sitting and staring at a blank computer screen to start. If I did that, I probably would have you know, jumped off the top of my house pretty quickly because I just <laughs> this is not my, one of my strengths. Um, but now I write, quote-unquote, write, a lot because that's what I do is I'll record myself, you know, doing it via audio. I use an AI tr- transcription service, and there's still a fair amount of editing to do on the back end, but it's still much easier than, you know, starting from scratch. So, you know, like I said, the first book was How to Be a Cash Flow Pro, was just to help some clients because cash flow is an issue, you know, as you mentioned at the outset of the show, that, you know, impacts every business at some point or another. 
And so I thought, you know what, let me get all, this, all these thoughts down in one document that I can just literally hand out to clients to have a reference point for different, you know, different things. And we had very surprisingly you know, a lot of success with the book, became a bestseller. And so then that kind of drove me to, again, just like the radio show, of, wow, I really feel like I'm helping people here and having an impact. So, gosh, I got a whole, whole bunch more things I could talk about. <laughs> so that led to the second book of, uh, that you know, like I said, was just released here in January called Pathway to Profits that covers a bunch of different topics um, of, of how to you know, successfully and optimally run your business. So, and that one we just found out uh, a week or so ago, not only made bestseller, but actually made it all the way to number one. So a very humbling experience for me, especially for someone who doesn't like to write. Uh, to, to have <laughs> Congratulations to have on that, that though. Success. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks. No, and I, like I said, I feel, I feel really good that, you know, again, I'm able to reach more folks that way, you know, as opposed to how many people can I get in front of on a daily basis? How can I reach more people? And, you know, I think the radio show does that. You know, coming on podcasts like yours, like this, helps, I think. And then, you know, obviously having that book out there or books out there to be able to – people can learn and hear and hopefully help them, you know, run their business more profitably, more efficiently. Well, I do have to say this is the first time on the show both Murder, She Wrote and Commodore 64 have come up. So I appreciate you taking <laughs> us back a little bit to um, the late 70s, early 80s when I grew up as well. But you made a really good point there in terms of writing the book. Not, not the mechanics, because I, I do love the, if you record it, then you write from it. It's so much easier than starting and staring at a blank piece of paper. But it's the strategic side, and it's making, taking your skills and your gifts and turning them into a product, a, a, in this case, a book or the radio show. It's... You were using the skills that you already had, the strategic side that you have, and you just made things easier. When you're working with your clients, they're probably daily, you see things that they're really bad at, <laughs> but they have skills <laughs> in other areas. How do you help them translate those, the things that need to be done in their business, but they don't like doing or they're bad at doing? How do you help them? do it in a different way just like you did in sort of in creating your books. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, and you're right, I do see, and, and that, that might be a future book uh, down the road of, of having, and I will protect the names of the innocent, but, you know, having a book to talk about funny anecdotes and stories of things that business owners have said and done over the years. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think really it's sort of assessing the skill set of each individual business owner and sort of having that, taking that EQ, that emotional quotient piece of the puzzle and how willing they are, how much do they want to know or how much do they just say, okay, explain this to me and tell me every month and I don't really want to dig into this stuff because I'm busy making my widgets or, uh, you know, providing whatever service they provide. So, you know, really on an individual basis, I mean, optimally, I'd, I love when clients want to learn, right? Because I, I, I love to teach them because at, at the end of the day, if that happens, I work myself out of a job, which is fine, right? Because I'm educating them and they're getting better and better at it. But, you know, there are some core pieces I think that every single business needs. And one of them is a budget. And I know it's like the dirty B word that <laughs> most people who are not in the financial world don't want to talk about. And I think uh, what I've found is a lot of folks are sort of intimidated by it. Like, well, I get what a budget is, but I wouldn't even know how to start to you create one for my business or it will be inaccurate, so it will be useless. And so that's one of the things that actually, there, I have a whole long chapter 
in Pathway to Profits about how to create a, you know, a budget without a financial guru, about how it's really not that bad. But every single business, and I require every business I work with, I tell folks that right up front, if you're going to work with me, we are going to do a budget. If you're not okay with that, then this probably isn't a good fit. Because I've found that every single business has game-changing results when they create a budget. Because that you know, provides some accountability. We sit down every single month, and it helps you make better financial decisions and much quicker. You don't get to August of the year and say, oh my gosh, you know, we're $300,000 behind our revenue goal. How are we going to close that gap in the last four months of the year? You figure out at the end of January, where are we at? You know, in January, are we ahead or behind our, our revenue goal and why? What products are lagging? What products are ahead? How can we replicate with the ones that are ahead and you know, use the same strategy to, to pick up some of the lagging ones? Um, and you know, having those decisions, if an opportunity presents itself in September um, to say, you know, geez, you might be able to maybe purchase a, 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 a um, competitor. Uh, do you have the money for that? And now I don't mean just checking your your balance, your your, your account balance uh, at your bank. <laughs> you know, how's the year coming along? Are you ahead or behind? Are you way ahead? And should you be reinvesting back in your business? All those sorts of things that a budget enables you to really know every single month how you're coming along. Are you trending towards that goal of reaching you know, what you want to do that year? And if not, why? And you can quickly make changes to make sure you get back on track and you don't figure it out six months into the year, eight months into the year, when then it's like, well, geez, we're so far behind, I can't close the gap. And a lot of people at that point just throw in the towel and say, well, we'll try next year. Well, let's not do that. You know, let's look at those things. So you know, every business, I have a, a core couple of things that every single business, regardless of niche or industry that we do. Again, one of those is a budget. Um, we talk about cash flow. Pricing um, is critically, critically important. I just did a, a show on uh, my, my radio show about what I call a silent business killer, and that is getting rid of unprofitable customers or clients. And people say, well, duh, of course you would do that, Ken. Thanks for that you know, stroke of genius. But what I find is a lot of business owners don't even realize that they have unprofitable customers. Uh, and some of it might be ego. No, of course I don't have that. Well, you do. I mean, again, if you don't realize the full cost of some of the services you provide that you are actually paying people in some instances for the pleasure of doing business with them. And just eliminating those unprofitable relationships boosts your bottom line. And it's an odd thing that seems very counterintuitive to many folks, but in those instances, you actually reduce your revenue, but you increase your net income. And again, I know it sounds like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all on the surface, it, but it, it is. You know, you're eliminating those jobs that are unprofitable for you. They're hurting your bottom line. They may be driving your top line, your revenue, your sales, but they're hurting your bottom line because you're losing money on those. So um, very powerful. So looking at those certain core things, um, and again, assessing the business owner's <laughs> uh, desirability to be more financially astute, uh, whether they want that or they just want someone to kind of walk them through and uh, help steer them around things, uh, or they want to learn themselves, I think is, is pretty key to making sure I've got a you know, really good, solid relationship and I'm helping them the best I can. Now, some people are, are, are listening and saying, Ken, no way am I doing that. It's so hard to get a client, let alone get multiple clients. I can't get rid of, rid of any of the ones that I have. So when you're working with your clients and, and you advise them or guide them into maybe getting rid of some clients, how do you help them replace those? How do 
people get clients and how do you get clients um, in order to fill those gaps and to keep the revenue growing with those more profitable clients? Yeah, so uh, g- uh, great question, um, and it's a great follow-up because, again, it, it, it just seems sort of counterintuitive, but I'll give you one quick example, and then I'll, I'll tell you how we sort of look to fill that gap. So I've got a client that had a job. So he does – it's actually a little bit more, but just to make the numbers around and easier to explain, um, he does about a million dollars a year in annual revenue. And we were reviewing 2018 uh, fairly recently and how that came out. And what, how, He had one job. And, again, keep in mind that he's, he's at, uh, about a million dollars. He had one job that he won, a project that was $220,000. So significant for his business, right? 22% of his annual revenue. What I found was when I went back and peeled the onion back on that job, because he wanted that job so bad, he bid so aggressively that he underbid. And so that job cost him $242,000 to do it. So it boosted his revenue by $220,000. It hurt his net income by $22,000. Right, because he it, he got two two twenty in the front door and two hundred forty two went out the back door. That is an instance where he could have not done that project, right? And his revenue instead of a million, knock off the two twenty, he'd have been at seven eighty, but his bottom line would have increased by twenty two thousand dollars. Now you look at it and you say, well, that's just one job, it's twenty two thousand dollars. But how many jobs do you have that are like that, that that you know that that are you're losing money on? Um, and so what we do, what we did to, and I do this with a lot of clients we do this with, um, we, you have to create a pricing model um, to make sure that, that those, those jobs that you're filling it with, that, to fill that gap, to increase that revenue and bring it back up, that they're profitable jobs. And in this case, instead of, you know, what we found out was he fell so in love with his top line of getting that sale, of landing that $220,000 job, you know, in reality, what he should have done is he should have bid that job at, I don't know, depending on what margin you want to be at, let's just say 270000 And when I told him that, he said, well, I wouldn't have got the bid. I wouldn't have won the project. And I said, that would have been good. Right? You should bid it at the profitability level that is your target and nothing below that. I, I take it back to a, a, a silly example, but maybe this is something that uh, folks can relate to. long time ago, when I used to buy stuff on eBay all the time, um, you know, you could go out and, you know, you could say uh, uh, say the current bidding on something was, say, $5. And I would say, okay, well, I'm willing to pay $22. So I bid $22, and it would automatically increase your bid, for those unfamiliar, until it got up to your threshold. So it wouldn't automatically take you to 22 If it was 5 it would put it at 6 And if someone outbid you at 7 they'd put yours at 8 etc. Well, then I would, you know, sometimes I would obviously lose, right? So someone would buy it for $24. And I remember having this, this discussion with a friend of mine. He said, well, you should have gone back in and bid it up to 25 And I said, no, because I set my target of $22. I'm not willing to pay more than $22 for that particular item. If someone buys it for more than that, I don't care. I would, I didn't, I'm not willing to pay $23 for whatever it is. You should take that same approach when you price out projects or your products. You're not willing to sell that, price or that product or service below X. You know, in this case with this job, this example I gave, let's say it was $270,000. He bids two seventy. dollars He doesn't get it. That's okay because anything less than that is going to be less than the profitability that you're looking for. So, again, by doing that and being, being disciplined about that, you can really 
Um, again, you weed out the unprofitable jobs, and you ensure that you're at the these target margins that you really are wanting for your your you know particular industry, your niche, your company, um, which is is just critically critically important um, to make sure you're very disciplined about that. Now, I'll tell you, some folks will say, well, you know what, maybe it's a big company and that I'm working with, and if I have an opportunity to win one job with them, then maybe that's more and more jobs in the future. Definitely a good point. However, keep in mind, once you bid a job very aggressively, so this, again, I keep going back to that example, but say that job you realize up front that it was going to cost you 242 and you say, you know what, I'll do it for 250 I'll only make 8000 on this job, but I'll get a lot of other jobs from them. That's fine, but keep in mind, if they open bid this particular project, they're going to open bid others. Now, you may have a little bit of a favorable nod your way, but they're going to expect that same aggressive pricing Again, right? They're not going to say, oh, well, that's, that's fine. You, you gave us a great deal on the first one. You need to give us a great deal on this one if you want the next project. So, you know, as um, uh, John Taffer, who was on uh, Bar Rescue, uh, great guy, very over the top, but, you know, one of the things he says all the time, and I definitely agree and I've seen it, is customers get addicted to discounts. Um, and so you have to be very careful about how you go about that pricing and things like that. But but to, again, long answer to your short question, but filling that gap, the critical piece of it is making sure that, that new, those new projects that you bring in are going to be profitable and at the target margins you're looking for. And, and that's a super important point. Now, and I appreciate you taking the time to really, to really spell it out and, and what that looks like and, and that bottom line. When, when I work with clients, um, I talk a lot about marketing, how, how to – um, mm-hmm. make more money in your business, right? My, my book is um, eight steps on how to make money without spending a ton of money on marketing or advertising. But when I talk about marketing, most people think marketing is getting more leads, right? You do marketing, you do advertising, you get more leads in the door, you can bid more projects, you can get more clients. But I look at it much in the same way that you just discussed, Marketing is not about getting more jobs, more clients, more quote-unquote business. Marketing is, at the end of the year, increasing your bottom line. So if you made $300,000 last year, your marketing plan should drive that $300,000 net to three fifty, not your top line of a million to $1.1 million and still make $300,000 at the end. And so right, it's really right. an interesting, different way to think about business. Everyone's chasing the top line where the bottom line, what you take home in your pocket, is really what your business is all about because if you make more money, you can help your family, you can help more people, you can create time and effectiveness in your life because that bottom line is what's driving your ability to continue working and helping more people. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, I, I love Grant Cardone. I uh, he all and he one of the things he talks about is you know revenue sales more sales more revenue solves every problem. And I would somewhat disagree with that and say the profitable sales and revenue <laughs> can solve all your problems. And I think that's he's implied what he means, but. Again, it, just as you mentioned, and I agree with you 100%, I mean, marketing is the key. And, you know, one of the things on the marketing side that I find, at least sometimes in businesses, is there, and you probably see this way more than I do, Adam, is folks are marketing, but they're not marketing to the right audience. 
And so they're marketing to folks, for example, that maybe don't have the level of affluence that would you know, be the predominant people that would be attracted to their particular, you know, if they have a, an upper end, a higher end type of product or service, and they're marketing to folks just general, and a lot of these folks don't have the wherewithal to even afford their product. Well, that's just wasted marketing money. Like, you, you know, you have to make sure you're very targeted about that and specific. And they wonder why, to your point, Adam, geez, I got all these leads, but I'm not closing any sales. Well, in a lot of t cases, it's because your leads are not qualified leads. They're, they're people, again, who can't afford what you provide. They may be interested and say, oh, my gosh, this sounds great, but, geez, I just can't afford it. That doesn't mean that your sales process stinks and you can't close people per se. It's more so that you're just attracting the wrong types of leads. Couldn't agree more with, with that. It's, it's being cognizant about all the things you talked about. And I, I really appreciate the, the different ways to look at, at your business. It's not just about top line. It's not just about winning the contract. It's about making sure it's profitable. It's about making sure you're talking to the right people that are able, willing, and desire your services. Um, tons of good nuggets that you gave us here today, Ken. I really appreciate it. So as we wrap up, I've just got one final thing, and that's for everyone listening, if there's one thing you believe they should do right now, what's the one thing they can implement to make a meaningful change in their business, what would it be? What should they go do right now? Um... Geez, trying to narrow it down to one. Well, I would say create a budget. But a lot of times, you know, you could probably hear my passion with that. Very important. But again, some people are too intimidated or maybe just don't know even know where to start. But that would be really, really important. But getting your cash flow right, I mean, you got to do that. And I know that's a, a big, big topic. And, you know, pricing like we just talked about is, is one big piece of that. But, you know, a, a simple piece at the very bottom basic level that you can make a change today or very quickly is if you don't accept credit cards, you have to accept credit cards. Um, and if you don't use a business credit card in your business, in my estimation, you're, using, you're making a bad mistake. And I don't suggest carrying a balance. That's not the point of it. Um, you know, you can utilize that credit card to help your cash flow and spread out when you're actually paying cash for items. And I won't go into all the details. I'll cover it in you know the uh, how to be a cash flow pro book, but. Think about at the end of the month when you have, you know, you owe $3,000 on your business credit card, um, you pay that, it, it, you know, you, you, you have an invoice, I should say, and you pay it with a credit card. Well, that extends when you have to actually lay the cash out for another, depending on your billing cycle, 30 to 45 days. So in that instance, you could end up buying raw materials to make your widgets, let's say, and not actually laying the cash out for them until 60 to 75 days later hugely impactful on your cash flow, as you can imagine. Now, again, I'm not, I'm, it's responsible use of a credit card. I'm not suggesting that you charge up $10,000 and at the end of the month you only have $3,000 to put on it. That, that defeats the whole purpose of it. But utilizing credit cards in your business and, frankly, using the bank to float that money for you without having to pay interest is very powerful, very powerful, especially for a lot of small businesses. And that 2 to 3% fee that you would pay to accept credit cards ends up being very minimal compared to having to be a, a collections department where people aren't paying you and you've got to chase them down. It's just a big, first of all, it's a nuisance, a big pain in the butt. Um, and getting that money right now. Studies show that when people use credit cards, they, they spend 12 to 18% more 
which is also a benefit for you, uh, clearly, uh, as well as you can drive, potentially drive your sales up even higher without really any extra effort. So that's one of those things that people love that and we're able to implement that in a lot of businesses. The other part about using a credit card in your business is that cash back rewards. So I've got a, a business that does remodeling and they, they spend about $400,000 a year on materials. He uses that credit card. He gets 2% cash back. He gets $8,000 a year in free money. Uh, now this guy's this guy's a bit of a jokester, so I'm not going to lie to you. He sent me a picture of you know one of those uh, ubiquitous pictures you see of people on the beach and they have a drink in their hand. You see like their feet in the sand in the ocean. He sent me that. He and his wife took his eight thousand dollars and they went to Hawaii on vacation. He said thanks, Mr. Biz, and sent me that picture. I'm like really. <laughs> I love I love so. I love that because um, it that's real money and that's a real benefit that the business created that wouldn't have been created yeah. otherwise. I, I really appreciate yeah. your thoughts yeah. and and everybody listening. If you can't tell the strategic side of money, this is what a, a great CFO. This is what a great business mind can help you with in your business. So definitely. Uh, check out Ken, go to mrbizsolutions.com, learn more about him, uh, listen to his radio show. Ken, thanks for being here, and thanks for all the great information and the nuggets that you gave to the listeners today. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. It's, I, as you can probably tell, I love talking about this stuff. I'll tell you, for your listeners, if anyone is interested, um, and this is not meant to be a sales pitch whatsoever, so my latest book, uh, Pathway to Profits, it's available on Amazon, but it's 20 bucks on Amazon. For anyone who's interested, you can get it for five bucks. Um, you can go out to pathwaytoprofitbook.com, and you can get it out there for five bucks as opposed to going out to Amazon and spending you know twenty bucks or whatever. So, I wanted to extend that to your listeners. Well, I appreciate that, and I know they will too. I'll put that in the show notes for people to go and get your book because obviously, just in the forty or so minutes that that we've been talking today, there were a ton of nuggets. Just think about what five dollars will buy you in that book. Thanks, Ken, for being here. Really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. Yep. Thanks, Adam. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.